0: Let's hear God's word and pray that this word would be uh, penetrating to our, to our hearts. The word of the Lord. Philemon chapter 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that the goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was departed from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh. And in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in your goodness to us. Father, we thank you so much for your character, being a God that is holy and righteous, uh, perfectly just. And God, we thank you that you are a God um, who cares even for your creatures. And God, as we enter into your presence, we are aware of, of our own sinfulness, God. We say, woe is me as we approach the throne of the Lord. Uh, yet God, we we know that you, who are kind and gracious, are quick to forgive your people. So Lord, we confess our sins before you this morning. Uh, we we confess our um, our, our discontentment, Lord. Uh, we confess our um, our bitter spirit. Uh, we we confess, Lord, um, that we have been stingy toward your work, or we confess that we have not lived as we ought this past week. We confess it to you knowing that you who are faithful and just will cleanse us of that sin and all our sin of this past week, God, and that you will purify us from all unrighteousness. So we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that says in Christ all is forgiven. We pray, God, that you would affirm your people today, remind them of the forgiveness you have given them in Christ. Father, we pray for those in our congregation who are hurting this morning, and we pray for those who are dealing specifically with anxiety, Lord, anxiety over relationships or um, finances. God, we pray that you would, would meet them specifically by your spirit. Those who are dealing with physical ailments, God, we pray that you would be kind to them, that you would remind them of your power, Lord. And yet, God, even more than that, we pray that you remind them of your presence, how you will always be with them from now until the end of the age. Lord, we thank you for our town and the gospel that is being preached uh, in it today. We pray, Lord God, for uh, for Jay Hardwick uh, at North Rock Hill. We pray, God, as he, he preaches your word today, that that congregation would be formed into your likeness, that they would be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, that they would love your word and love sharing the good news. Father, we, we pray for our world. God, we do pray um, for our nation specifically. We do, God, we pray that you would allow the, the videos that have come to light about Uh, Planned Parenthood, to awaken our our, our country's conscience, that we would stop the the horror of abortion, God. God, we pray that you would help us, God, be a people who love life. God, love life and how we uh, protect it. God, love life and how we try to live our lives in honor of your glory. Father, I pray, Lord, uh, now as we uh, lay our hearts before you, God, that you would soften our hearts, that we would hear from your word. God, you know exactly what your people need to hear. God, you have put the word upon my heart through study, through prayer, to preach it to your people, to build them up and to, to encourage them, God, to convict them of sin and in regards to righteousness and judgment. So, dear God, I pray now as the word of God goes forth towards your people, that you would change them, that you, by the agent of your Holy Spirit, through your word, would change your people, the people that I love and you have given me to shepherd and to care for, God, that you would change them for your glory for their good. So God, I pray that the words that I say would would be um, tethered to the text, God, that I would use this time to encourage your people, to remind them of the great forgiveness we have in Christ. So God, I pray now that you would just soften, soften our hearts. Let us hear a word from you. Uh, Speak, Lord. Your people are listening. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Uh, in 1905, Theodore Teddy Roosevelt uh, became the first sitting president to visit uh, post-Civil War uh, South. Uh, Roosevelt was raised in New York, uh, and the impact of the Civil War had a drastic impact uh, on his life, even as a young child. Uh, his father sided with the Union, uh, while his mother, uh, Georgia-born and bred, uh, leaned toward the Confederacy. Uh, Teddy's uncle, uh, James Roosevelt, was a leader in the Confederate uh, Army. So growing up as a child during the Civil War, you could see the the tension in the home. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt had had a deep respect for his father. Uh, In his autobiography, he wrote in 1913, My father was the best man I ever knew. He combined strength and courage with gentleness. Tenderness and great unselfishness, unselfishness. He would not tolerate in us children selfishness or cruelty, idleness, cowardice or untruthfulness. His sister Corinne later recounted that Teddy never made a, an important decision for the country without first thinking what his father would have done. And although he dearly loved his father, there was one thing that his father did that Teddy found it extremely hard to forgive. And he may never have forgiven his dad. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt Sr. was a wealthy businessman. And during the Civil War, he paid $300 for someone else to fight in his place uh, during the war. Now, it was a common practice of the day. Uh, And Roosevelt Sr. was probably convinced by his wife, Maddie, uh, who uh, didn't want him fighting against her own family Uh, and to possibly die and lose his life, leaving her distraught? Well, regardless of the reasons why Roosevelt Sr. didn't fight in the war, Teddy had a hard time forgiving his dad. He said that he believed that he should have done everything in his power, I quote from his sister, felt that his father had done wrong in not having put every other feeling aside to join the fighting forces. His sister Corinne added that he was determined to build a strong military reputation. You know, he's quote, he's he 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 was known for uh, coining the phrase "walk softly and carrying a big stick." He was known for his prominence in his foreign affairs. Well, one of the reasons why he wanted to have that military reputation was to compensate for, I quote, for an unspoken disappointment in his father's course in in 1861. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that Teddy's unforgiveness of his father was the reason that helped shape his political life. One act of unforgiveness changed the course of his life. And I wonder this morning how many of us are like Teddy Roosevelt. Well-adjusted, successful, but in reality we're driven to make a name for ourselves because of our own unforgiveness. Maybe our lives have been controlled and shaped because we have been unable to forgive others. Or we ourselves do not feel forgiven. I mean, other people in your life that you have not forgiven? I heard a story just this past week in one of my visits, of a man who never forgave God for losing his four-month-old baby girl. And that unforgiveness shaped the next 40 years of his life. Friends, forgiveness or the lack thereof will have a dramatic impact on the direction of your life. The Apostle Paul knew that, which is why he penned this brief letter to his friend Philemon. Paul loved Philemon and dearly wanted him to forgive for his own good, for the good of the church, and for the glory of God. So I I pray, as we look at Paul's friendly appeal for forgiveness, that you and I would be challenged to pursue forgiveness with the people in our own life. If you want to follow along on the outline provided for you, the first point for today's message is appealing for love's sake. The first appeal is appealing for love's sake. Uh, And if you remember last last week, Paul did not begin this letter by, by stating his credentials. He didn't say, I'm the Apostle Paul, the servant of Christ. He calls himself a prisoner. The only time he addresses himself that way in a letter. He does not come out swinging, right, based on his status, but he appeals on the basis of love. Look with me again at verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. See, Paul was not afraid to command Philemon to obey his words. We see that the rest of his letters, he often commanded people to obey. But he wanted Philemon to make the right decision from the right motivation. God cares why we do what we do. So he wants Philemon to not obey begrudgingly by commanding him, but he, he wants complete and full reconciliation. So as we see, as Paul writes this letter, I want you to see the, the, the goal that Paul has. Paul is giving Philemon an opportunity to show him love as well. Look what he says. He says, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Now these words would have been weighty for Philemon because Philemon had a close relationship with Paul. Paul is in a, is in a Roman prison, most likely facing the end of his life. And as a a man, he dearly respects someone who was like a father to him. He says, I, Paul, an old man. He's trying to encourage Philemon to make this decision based on his relationship with Paul. Now, I've heard many stories, even from many of you in this church, where you had a a father or a mother facing the end of life, and they look at you and they say, take care of your mother when I'm gone. Take care of her. And the love you have for a father makes you want to labor the rest of your life in fulfilling that request. Paul is appealing to Philemon's love for him as an old man who has labored well for the gospel, even to the point of imprisonment. I, th- I just think this is instruction, instructive for us. You know, we should want people to love others from the heart not out of mere duty. Is it our duty to love? Yes. But the reason we should love is, is not because we have to, because we get to. We should do it from the heart. It is a joy and a privilege to obey God. When we love others, that's what we're doing. We're, we're showing that Christ has loved us and we want to extend that to others. And we should not try to constrain a man's will by force, but we should appeal to others on the basis of love. Love for one's fellow man, love for the relationship between as a family, brother and sister in Christ, love for the Savior who died and bled for us. The basis of Christian obedience is love. Let me say that again. The basis of Christian obedience is love. Every time you feel you have to obey, you will never be you'll never be obedient. If you think that you're trying to, trying to muscle it and trying to swing it, I, I can really obey, and it's not birthed from within out of a love for God, it won't last. God wants us to obey Him out of the heart. Which is what Paul is writing here. We love God and others because God has first loved us. We were sinners deserving of, of wrath and God showed us mercy in Christ. Not giving what we do deserve, but giving us grace. That love... Should be the motivation of the entire Christian life. Well, the second thing we see here, not only appeal for love's sake, but appeal for a son's sake. A son's sake. Paul appeals on the basis of love for someone he loves and who has become like a son to him. Now the English translations change the, the order of the text to make it make, make more sense in, in our language, in our In our time. The original Greek takes Onesimus' name and places it at the end of the sentence. From verse 8 to verse 16 is one sentence in the Greek. So this is one of those long run-on sentences from Paul. From beginning in verse 8 all the way to verse 16, it is one thought, one sentence. So it would have read like this, that, that verse 10. It says, I appeal to you for my child whose father I became in my imprisonment. Onesimus. It would have kind of had this weight to it. you know it would, it would have been like the, the during the NFL draft when you have the, 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 the commissioner walking to the podium and saying and saying you know uh, with the first pick, the Carolina Panthers select from the University of Manitoba Onesimus Smith. gasp and shock fill the room because they would have they would have known what that meant. That's what we see here. The the shock and the disbelief that Onesimus has returned. And the Apostle Paul is appealing for Onesimus. Now remember we talked last week that the congregation is listening to this, this letter. So you can see Philemon's reaction. What is Philemon going to do? Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves. If you remember, he appeared to have stolen from Philemon. We don't know exactly sure, but we a clue from verse 18. We think that he he robbed and stole from him. You know, we don't have the exact details of why he left, but we can assume that one of the reasons why why Onesimus left was he wanted reconciliation. Uh, there was a law during this time, during the 1st century uh, for Roman slaves that they could appeal to the ma- to the friend of one of their masters and, and, and encourage reconciliation. Now, God is God, so we, we could say that there could have been a coincidence, a, a divine coincidence, as we call it, where Onesimus randomly ran into Paul in a prison. But if you were robbing someone and stealing from someone, the last place you would rob, probably want to go is be near someone who is close friends with your master. Now, remember, this church met in Philemon's house, so Onesimus would have heard of the Apostle Paul, would have heard those stories. So Onesimus probably would have went in the opposite direction. But What we see here is that Onesimus probably came to seek out Paul because he wanted reconciliation with Philemon. So there's something already moving in in Onesimus' life that encourages this kind of reconciliation. Well, we know that he, he met God when he met Paul. Paul says that Onesimus became my child. Clearly referring to him become a child in the faith. Onesimus wanted reconciliation with Philemon and he found reconciliation with God. Friend, before we even move on, let me ask you, have you been reconciled to God? Are you right with the Lord? Do you know that you even need to be reconciled unto God. The Bible says that everyone has stolen from the Lord. We have all robbed Him of His glory. And because of our thievery, our robbing God of His glory, we deserve to be punished. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord. This is My name. My glory I give to no other, nor praise to carved idols. And when we live for ourselves and we don't live for God's glory, what we are saying is that my decisions are the only ones that matters. I'm living for myself and therefore I'm not living for God and his glory, but I'm living for my own glory. Or robbing God of what is due his name. So God has to punish those who steal his glory. It's a matter of justice. And yet The demands of our robbery are met by the one we offended. For God sent His Son to die between two thieves, two robbers, on that dark Friday afternoon. So when Jesus crawled out, it is finished! And gave up His Spirit. He paid for our sin. He paid for all the time we robbed God of what was due His name. He was dead and buried. And we know that God accepted the sacrifice of His Son by raising Him from the dead. So Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Majesty on high, ready to forgive all. Ready to forgive all who would turn from their sins to trust in Christ. So if you are here today and you have not been reconciled to God, Jesus Christ is ready to forgive you. All you need to do is come. Bow before Him. Call Him Lord. And you will be saved. Friend, Onesimus was a thief. He was a thief. And yet, he was a forgiven thief. Onesimus, a slave, had to go to prison to find freedom. Friend, you can find freedom from your sin today by trusting in Christ. So as a Paul appealed to Philemon, I appeal to you. For love's sake, come to Christ. Come to Christ and experience freedom. So what we know about Onesimus is that this wasn't a temporary change, something deep happen in in Onesimus' life. The word Onesimus literally means useful. It was a common name for slaves of the day. But notice what Paul says in verse 11. He has a play on words here. He says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is useful to you and to me. Something happened when Onesimus heard the gospel. He believed and his life was changed. There may be people here who who, who have not, they say they believe, and yet there's been no change in your life. If there is no change in your life, when you say you believe, you probably have not truly believed. And I think this is the problem with much of Christians today. All across our, our world, we see Christians claiming the name of Christ and yet doing things that Christ would abhor. But what we see here is Onesimus is serving Paul in the same manner in which Philemon, who was known for loving the saints, would have served Paul in prison. Now, Paul was in prison. Now, Roman prisons were awful in the first century. Sometimes we we, we have a hard concept of of how prisons are today and how prisons are in in the first century. Well, prisons today are required by law to feed uh, prisoners three square meals a day. Sometimes even give them cable. But that's a whole other conversation, right? That was a joke. It's okay to laugh anyway. But in the Roman century, first century Roman prisons, if, if someone outside the prison did not come and feed and give you uh, clothing and blankets, you would have starved to death. They didn't care about feeding you. Someone on the outside had to care for your needs. And that's exactly what Onesimus did. Onesimus, on the outside, a thief, no longer is stealing, but he's providing for Paul. It reminds me of Ephesians 4.28, a a kind of a a letter that was taken along with Colossians. You You can almost think that Paul was thinking of Philemon when he wrote this verse, Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That was Onesimus, a thief who was providing and caring for Paul. Now Paul desired to keep Onesimus with him. Now wouldn't you? You're in this prison, you're being cared for well by someone, and yet he sends him back to Philemon. Look at verse 12 and 13. I am sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. I would have been glad to To keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. First, I want you to notice how Paul speaks of Onesimus. He says, I'm sending my very heart. Have you ever led someone to the Lord? Or maybe met someone when they were a young Christian and really watched them kind of grow and develop into maturity? Well, when you, when you do that, I think you've got to get a, get a picture of what's happening in Paul's life here. Paul saw a conversion in Onesimus' life and saw him change. And something kind of welled up in Paul. And there was this love that he had for Onesimus. I know that from my own, my own ministry, when I've seen people walk uh, away from sin and trust in Christ, and I just watch them grow and grow in the Lord, there's something that comes very dear to your heart. Um, and that's what we see here. You know, Paul loves Onesimus, as he dearly loves Philemon. You know, we've seen them both come to Christ, both love the Lord Jesus, both love Christ's people. And Paul notes that, he, that the care he has received from Onesimus is similar to the care that he himself would have received from Philemon. Now, isn't it remarkable that God would take a wealthy businessman and a slave, And yet have them both be equal in the cross. Philemon, one who was wealthy, who had enough space to have people have have a meeting place for the church in his own house. And Onesimus, a slave, all become together in the cross where they're no longer slave and wealthy, but they are one in Christ. The cross is the great equalizer. This is why God has called us to come together as a church. Not because we're all the same. No, because we're all different. But we're one in Christ. That's what the cross does. It levels us all on the same field. And that, my friends, makes Christianity revolutionary. It is the only religion in the world It says when we come to Christ, we are all the same. Lavinia Bartlett was a lay teacher at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Uh, She began her ministry as a Sunday school teacher with three prostitutes that she met on a street. After six months, her class grew to over 600 people. Women with social and moral problems were repenting of their sins and coming to Christ. After 16 years of labor, labor, Lavinia Bartlett died, leaving scores of students in her wake. Her faithful teaching led countless women to the missionary field to become teachers. Metropolitan Tabernacle was not known for Miss Bartlett. They were known for their gifted preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And yet, Bartlett's influence on that congregation shaped it. Over a thousand people attended her funeral, just saying again and again of her influence on their lives. See, Miss Bartlett did not look at people with worldly eyes, with worldly value, but the value they had in God's kingdom. Man looks at the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart. Are you seeing people like Paul saw in or Miss Bartlett saw those prostitutes? When we go into our world, are we seeing people with the, through the lenses of the cross? That if they come to Christ, they are our brother. They are our sister. Well, the third appeal that you see here is appealing for the Spirit's sake. Appealing for the Spirit's sake. You know, Paul wanted to keep Onesimus, but instead he sent him back to Philemon. And this may be uh, strange with our current understanding of slavery. You know, if one escaped from slavery in our culture, why would they be sent back to their master? Is Paul affirming slavery here? You know, it's true. Paul did not outright oppose slavery, but he undermined the entire practice. The reputations of Christians among the world of that time was those who were insubordinate Rebels. The ones who stirred up controversy. So what Paul wanted them to do is to obey the law of the land so that they would have a hearing for the gospel. You know, Paul wanted Christians to honor the government. We see that. Peter says the same thing. But Paul encouraged slaves to submit to their earthly masters. Why? So they could adorn or make beautiful the gospel of our our Savior. And yet in doing all that, what Paul does is he undermines the entire institution of slavery with a letter like Philemon. So Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon so that Philemon could act out of his own accord by the power of the Holy Spirit. What you see here is you see someone having a decision to make and having the, the only way that he can make that decision would be by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to what he says in verse 13 and 14. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve you on my behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of, of your own accord. Paul wanted Philemon's goodness directed towards Onesimus to be out of love, done freely without compulsion. Now, the goodness of Philemon's love towards Onesimus would have been a sign of the Spirit's work. When you see the Spirit of God work, what happens to a people? Their hearts are encouraged. Their hearts are lit when you see God moving by the power of His Spirit. So what Paul is doing here, he's giving Philemon, a leader in the church, to display the powerful working of the Holy Spirit of God. That is a beautiful thing. We read in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Paul was giving an opportunity to show the goodness of his conversion by asking him in love to receive a repentant brother in Christ so that he would no longer be a slave, a bondservant, but a brother. Question. Do you view conflict and reconciliation as an opportunity or a trial. I think most people view conflict negatively. That every time there's there's conflict, we get kind of queasy. But in the church, when there's conflict, there's an opportunity by the Spirit of God to show love, to show that you truly believe what the Bible teaches. That's what we see here in Philemon conflict is not bad conflict will always happen in the life of a church why because we're all a bunch of sinners we all have our own issues we all have our own desires our own opinions but every time we have conflict what do we also have we have an opportunity to show the power of the spirit of god and that is beautiful so when you encounter conflict don't immediately get taken aback fall into that conflict and say, I have the opportunity to show my love for Jesus. Paul is giving that here. He's giving Philemon an opportunity to show him what matters most in his life. What matters more? His runaway slave or his repentant brother in Christ? I mean, what about you? What's the most important thing in your life? Maybe the conflict in your life today is giving you an opportunity for you to learn what really matters in your life. Friend, if you have the Spirit of God, then you have the power of love. So I appeal to you to be reconciled to those in your life that you can display the wisdom of our Lord and Savior. Well, lastly, let me end with appealing for sovereignty's sake. Appealing for sovereignty's sake. There are always things happening that we don't understand. And although we may not always understand, we can trust that God is always moving. God is always doing things and moving things in in a way that is far greater than we can imagine. You know, we don't always know the why, but we know that God is good and that God works those um, things for our good. Those who have been loved by Him and called according to His purpose. So as we close, I want you to to, to focus on the reason that Paul gives for why Onesimus left him, why Onesimus robbed him. He doesn't give a a definitive answer, but he gives a perhaps. Look at verse 15 again and 16. For this, it's Philemon running away and coming, or Onesimus running away and coming back, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you, For a while. That you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than that, a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul reminds Philemon to have an eternal perspective. Forgiveness has eternal ramifications. Paul encouraged Philemon to look past Onesimus' sin for his love in the Gospel. Look past what you lost from Onesimus, but what you gain in his repentance. So he may have lost money that Onesimus temporarily stole so that he could have him back forever. He may have lost the labor temporarily. But he gained a brother. How many times do we need this reminder? We are so caught up in the temporary and we miss the eternal. We live in the, in the right now and forget the forever. Beloved, do you you will not always know the plans and purposes of God. But God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Paul cannot give Philemon an exact reason for the for the conflict with Onesimus, but he says, perhaps, perhaps something greater is happening here. In your life, beloved, you may be dealing with something very hard, whether it's in a relationship, finances, or health. And I don't know why those things are happening. Nobody can give you the why. But perhaps, perhaps God is up to something bigger. And that's what he's saying here. You see the temporary loss, but perhaps, perhaps God is doing something far greater than you can even ask or imagine. Jesus Christ suffered temporal loss as he gave up his spirit. And yet, looking back, we know his temporal loss brought eternal gains. His temporary death led to eternal life. His temporary pain led to eternal payment. His temporary struggle led to eternal salvation of all, for all who would trust in Him. Friend, you may be struggling today. We all are going to face those things we don't understand. But I want you to consider that perhaps. Perhaps God is something far more than you can imagine. Following South Africa's apartheid, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, during the commission's hearing, uh, both blacks and whites uh, testified uh, of their crimes of murder and torture during the apartheid. Crimes that were recounted were horrific and heart-wrenching to hear. Two of those people who came to share stories were Miss Kalata and her daughter. Uh, one writer recounts her testimony. He says, Ms. Collada's husband had been an advocate for black South Africans in rural communities. Because of his work, he'd been arrested, detained, and tortured by the police numerous times. But one day he disappeared. On the front page of the newspaper, Ms. Collada saw a photograph of her husband's car on fire. She cried so loudly during the hearing, describing the autopsy's report about his torture, that the commission had to be adjourned. When they reconvened, her daughter testified. It had been years since her father's murder, and she had grown into a young woman. She pleaded. She pleaded with the commission to find her father's killer, but not for the reason we think. She said, We want to forgive, but we do not know whom to forgive. Rather than seek out vengeance and revenge, Ms. Kalada and her daughter were looking to forgive. Paul wanted Philemon to do the same. He appealed to him as a friend not to look for vengeance, but to extend mercy. He wanted him to do what God had done for him in Christ. Beloved, an eternal perspective, which brings our minds to the reality that one day we will stand before God to give an account for our forgiveness and those we have forgiven should lead us to look for the opportunity to forgive. Paul appealed to Philemon. And now I appeal to you. Will you look not to vengeance, but to show mercy? Will you choose to follow Christ? And simply, will you choose to forgive? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. I pray now that you would help us forgive as you have forgiven us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.